MailChimp presents. Say you're the head of marketing strategy for a small clothing store. You've perfected digital communication with your loyal customers, and now you want to expand into brick-and-mortar locations. But you haven't totally perfected your segmentation strategy, and double-checking the right emails are sent to the right customers just takes so much time. Intuit MailChimp can help. With Intuit MailChimp's automation and segmentation tools, personalizing each email based on individual behaviors is made easy. Intuit MailChimp allows you to share your new product launch with VIP customers who follow every release, run a targeted campaign for more seasonal buyers, and send out location-specific emails to promote your store openings among your new neighbors. They'll take care of your marketing needs so you can take care of your customers' needs. Start refining your email marketing strategy today with Intuit MailChimp, the number one email marketing and automations brand. Based on competitor brands' publicly available data on worldwide numbers of customers in 2021 and 2022. Availability of features and functionality vary by plan, which are subject to change. Hello, friend. I'm Paul Jarvis. Welcome to Call Paul, a show where I get to ring up some of the most interesting minds in small business and have thoughtful conversations about their unconventional approaches to commerce. I've run my own small company for the last 21 years, and I've written books on how bigger isn't always better in business. In this season, I'm talking to folks who are prioritizing doing the right thing over just the most profitable. Some are starting something brand new, standing up their businesses in an entirely new environment. Others have been at it a while, working to ensure their continued sustainability through turbulent times. And there's a lot to learn from everyone. Don't worry about your nouns, what people call you. Just think about the verbs you want to do. What is it that you want to do? What are your verbs? Like for me, that's reading, writing, thinking, drawing, making stuff. And that's it. That's Austin Cleon, author, thinker, drawer, although, as he just said, nouns don't matter so much, who's been working for himself for over a decade. He's written some pretty popular books on cultivating creativity along the way, such as Steal Like an Artist, Show Your Work, and Keep Going. My conversation with Austin is the perfect place to start the second season of Call Paul. It's a rich exploration of the crossroads between creativity and commerce. And Austin identifies a lot of these threads we'll be pulling out on upcoming episodes, like knowing your customers, making things you want to see in the world, keeping your name clean, radical transparency, and of course, showing your work. I grew up in a very rural area in Southern Ohio. And when I was growing up, I didn't, I knew I loved art. I knew I loved music. I knew I loved all these things. I had no idea how to do it. I was like, how do you do this? Like, how do you be an artist? How do you, I didn't know any artists. I didn't know any like real, you know, professional musicians or anything. And this is kind of pre-internet. I look at my kids now with YouTube and the things that were are available to them now, and it seems wild to me what they will do. 
But for me, it was like, I thought when I was younger, like, well, artists are special people. They, they have, they just have gifts. So like, I think whenever I talk about my work, in a sense, I'm still talking to the boy I was when I was a kid. I'm trying to be like, look, you don't have to be special. Yeah. I mean, even for me, like I grew up in the burbs and I had no, so I was told by adults that doing anything creative was going to be uh, a, fa- a life failure. <laughs> and there wasn't like, I didn't know anybody who did those jobs. Right. And like being a creative person who made a living as a creative person was a total mystery to me. There is something mysterious and magical that happens often in creative work, but you have to be working for it to happen, you know? And that's something I didn't know when I was younger is that the ideas come from the stuff, from the doing. That's really where a lot of the ideas come. They come from the practices, whether it's having a notebook that you write in or whether it's making collages or whatever, like the ideas come out of that interaction with your materials and being out in the world. The way I talk about creative work is the way that all the people I look up to talk about it. And, you know, those are the people I sought out. And and I think that's a very universal story for kids who grow up in areas where nothing's happening. You know, like in rural kind of dead zones, culturally. Um, that's a pretty universal story. Like, you just want to meet your people. Yeah, it took me a while to meet those kinds of people. Like I was a designer, a musician, and a writer um, for a living. But as a kid, I didn't know anybody who did any of those things. And then as well, none of the adults that I knew as a kid knew anyone who did those things either. I wanted to be a songwriter when I was a kid. I mean, I wanted to be like a music producer and a songwriter. And and um, I went, I, that's why I wanted to do with my life. But the cool thing that I realized about music very early on is if you have interdisciplinary pretensions, like if you have pretensions towards being like a Renaissance person, which I always did, someone who did like a bunch of different things, music is a great place for that because music needs, you know, not just to play, but it needs words and it needs um, recording and it needs artwork and it needs marketing, you know, so music is actually a very rich place for people who like to do a lot of different things. So a great example is Radiohead. So when you have a 38-year-old guy talking about Radiohead, people, their eyes start to glaze over and roll into the back of their heads because now, you know, oh, some, you know, middle-aged white guy talking about Radiohead, who wants to hear this? But if you can kind of go back to being like a 15-year-old in 1997 or 98, and watching the way that they made their websites and the way that they sort of like communicated their influences and just their kind of show your work ethic while they were working while also keeping this mystique alive, that completely went mainlined it right into my brain. It's funny now when I talk to people, I'm like, you, you don't really understand what it was like to be a teenager and watch Radiohead doing what they were doing. It, it was it was formative it was it was very like like my my early websites were complete ripoffs off of some of those weird like okay computer era like just... i had an okay computer era album cover when i was designing <laughs> the album covers for all my bands <laughs> right <laughs>
I try to pay tribute to them in a sense to those guys, how they really felt like they were experimenting with everything, you know, not just their, their music. And I just think that's so underrated now. I mean, they're like elder statesmen now and people are kind of like, Oh, whatever Radiohead, but like, you know, back in the day, it was really exciting. Yeah. I think it's hard to experiment or it's, it's hard to find the courage or whatever it takes to, to be experimental, but also run. And like I've run into this personally as well. I guess I try to do experiments that aren't so experimental that they're going to ruin everything. Yeah. But if they ruin just a little piece of something, then I don't care. Smallest possible experiment in the sense. Yeah. Um, I personally, the more of a public person I become, just, you know, as the audience gets bigger and more people know my work, I just really am into private experiments now. Like things that I do at my desk that I'm not going to show anybody for a while. You know, that's the experimenting that I'm really interested in right now. It's just like these kind of private experiments. And then inevitably something that I say, okay, this is going to be private. This is going to be just for me. It'll be good. And then it turns into something that I share. The thing I'm kind of curious about is how you bridge creativity and commerce. And does one does one come before the other? Or how that how that works? Like, how do you approach the fact that, yes, what you do is creative work, but it is also a thing that is a job that pays you money to pay, like, mortgage rent for family, all that stuff? Yeah. People say, oh, you do what you love for a living. That must be so great. I'm like, I don't love talking about creative work, man. Like, I mean, I love doing creative work, but, like, I make my living talking about doing creative work. There are very few people who just make a living doing what they completely love right it's there's there's usually like the job element of it i try to to be really upfront with people that that my actual creative work is like something but my business has been built around the process of that in terms of trying to figure out how creative work is done and then sharing stuff with other people that's become the business right so that is kind of my business now, and it comes with trade-offs. Yeah. So by sharing, you have a bit less time to do the work, but it's necessary. And you've really embraced sharing as your job, and it's obviously something that I've seen you explore a lot in your Show Your Workbook. The idea that showing others uh, the creative process isn't just being genuine, but uh, an actual way to engage them with your work. So my second book, Show Your Work in the Trilogy, that is supposed to answer this question, like, how do I get famous? Like, how do I promote myself? I'd been in marketing for a year before Still Like an Artist came out. So I was thinking a lot about marketing and and selling. And it just occurred, I just felt like this is so powerful. This is just so, um, because you don't have to have any finished great thing. You can just be like, Hey, I'm recording my album, y'all, and uh, you know I've I've um, tested three mics today, and I just wanted to talk about. It. I mean, like that's like a musician that that gets forty thousand views because it's like this dude's talking about mics and people are interested. You know, like whatever it is. Um, what is cool about Show Your Work is it felt very 
edgy when it came out in 2014. Like it felt very like, oh, this is like a new crazy thing. What's kind of cool now is that I hear from people who have read the book and even though social media is terrible, way more terrible than it was in 2014, the tools are way better. I saw a TikTok the other day and the whole TikTok's just like, here's how to fix stuff on your car. It was just like, go to Walmart, go to this aisle, get this thing. And it was like a 15 second video of like how to fix a tire or like, you know, how to fill your windshield wiper fluid. And I thought, this is genius. This is exactly what I was saying in Show Your Work. I was like, if you're a plumber, like show somebody how to fix the aerator on their sink for free. And then they're like, oh, that guy. Like, I know, you know what I mean? And it's, it was, it's just so cool to watch now. But like, the culture's caught up to the idea now because we have all the tools almost to a fault where it's like, does anyone make anything anymore? <laughs> you know, who's made something really great lately? <laughs> yeah. So then in approaching a new project, how do you figure out what string to pull next? And then how do you turn said string you're into into something that's monetized like your books? I've got a Venn diagram basically in my head of, you know, over here is the stuff that I'm interested in. And then on the other hand is there's the stuff that I think my readers are interested in. And the sliver in the middle is what I try to make money off of. (laughs) So it's like, it's not like the pure thing you think about with, you know, with artists where they just, you know, follow their vision and, and chase after that. That's not really what I'm doing. I mean, I, that's more of what I do on like my blog or, or in my notebooks and stuff like that when I make my actual artworks. But when it comes to, you know, like books and speaking and stuff like that, I'm always trying to figure out where the audience and I can meet and where that overlap is what I'm genuinely curious about and what other people are struggling with or, you know, sort of want. So for every book, it's sort of like, because books are like the primary product I do right now, you know, for every book, it's, it's doing that dance between like, well, what do I want to talk about for two to five years? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, and and what what do people sort of want from me, or, or you know, and and sometimes they tell you directly, you know, that's that's what's kind of cool about having an, a a relationship with your audience is sometimes they tell you what you they want you to do. Has there ever been like, I guess, a misstep where that that slice of the Venn diagram has has led you astray or led you down a path where you're like, oh crap, this is not the right path. I think, yes, when I get tripped up is when I try to behave like a serious author would behave, like what my cartoon image of an author is. When Show Your Work came out, I was like, well, I'm a serious author now. So serious authors don't just blog every day about whatever's on the top of their mind. They come up with long, nice online medium essays. (laughs) And it's like, and they do one a week. And it's like this very, you know, and I started working that way. And it just, I, 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 I died on the vine. It was terrible. It was, it was like me saying, hey, there's this way that I've operated that's gotten me to this wonderful point. And 
now I'm just going to abandon that and try to act like a professional, you know? And I, I see that happen over and over with people, uh, when they have a little bit of taste of success, um, where they, you know, they hit and then they like try to change things. Oh, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to bring it to the next level, you know? And I think that's why I like your work so much. It's just that idea of keeping it small, keeping it, you know, the thing that brought you here is what people want. And like you, if you change your way of operating, all the good stuff that you made that brought all the people here, you know, that's going to evaporate. Or it's going to change so much that that you're going to do stuff that, you know, you're going to alienate your audience or whatever. So for me, it's always been about like, Going back to that initial, like, what made me start a blog? Like, what was that initial hunger when I was a nobody and nobody knew me? What was that? And to try to go back to that on a weekly basis, try to re-ask myself, (laughs) what was this initial impulse, you know? And then merge that with the commercial, you know, trying to run a business stuff. Yeah. Well, you have been blogging for... I was going to say forever, for forever in internet years, right? 16 years. Wow. And yeah, blogging has changed a lot. Like I don't, you and maybe a handful of mm-hmm. other people I know have actual pers- quote unquote personal blogs. Yeah. yeah. Does it affect you to see new trends, new software, new ways of talking or on the internet? Like, do you consider those things or do you think... This is what's working for me. This is what's kind of keeping me going, keeping my audience yeah. jazzed up. Yeah. You know, my feeling with platforms is like if there's something creatively that if, if this if this platform will make me do more work like I want to do, then I'm down with it, right? Like then I'm interested. I'm at the point in my career where it's like you know, I've built my website. Like people know it's a good place. People know it's like it's like a property down. It's my own platform that I've built. I'm not really that interested in helping other people build their plat. You know, helping some company build their platform. You know, so now it's kind of like I want to build my own thing and keep it keep it going. And I mean, you have really kept it going. Can you talk a bit then about how blogging came about for you in the first place? I had this feeling in the very early days with blogging where it was like, I don't have much to say yet, but if I have this thing, I will find things to say, right? So you're attracted to this thing. That was the thing. And in the blog days, I was like, I don't have anything to offer people. I don't really even have that much to say, but I feel like if I start this thing and I come to it, on a regular basis, things will appear. And that's what happened. And in the early days, like my blog, my really old blog, if you go way, way, way back in the archives, a lot of it is me drawing other authors. So it's me literally going to events and like sketching the authors and then writing about what they said during the Q&A. Or it's me literally drawing maps of books. I used to read people's books and then make these little mind maps of them. And post them on my blog. And basically, it was just like me studying how, okay, what does an author do during a Q&A? Like, I was accumulating so much informa- information back then that I didn't realize I was, I was working on. But, like, I was accumulating that knowledge. But then I was making this artifact out of an experience that then these authors were like, 
who's this kid? Like, I want to link to this. Or like, who is, you know, and I met authors that way. And so, you know, there was a world that I wanted to join. And I just thought the blog was like the first step. I was like, if I start this blog and I let people know that I'm here doing this weird stuff, then they'll start, maybe they'll start visiting and maybe they'll pull me in, you know? But like to just try to join that world as soon as possible. So speaking of accumulating knowledge and kind of curating what you're interested in, the internet's kind of a dumpster fire, right? Like, I guess I'm curious how you make the internet work for you. So I'm someone who I have systems for being reminded and processing what I'm interested in, you know? So it's like, that's what the, you know, that's what the notebook is for. That's what, um, I use Twitter that way. So the Twitter feed, they call it a feed. It's like a trough, right? You're like a pig, just, you know, just kind of gobbling up whatever people are serving at you. The search box to me is the opposite of the feed. The search box is like, I type in what I'm interested in and I see what comes up. And those two modes, you know, for me, it's like more search, less feed. Like for me, Twitter is like, I came up with this, this is interesting, and I tweet it. And then at the end of the week, I go back through my Twitter feed and here's what I found interesting. And then that's where the newsletter comes from. Or I tweet things and I'm like, this deserves a blog post. I go over and do a blog post, right? And then when I'm putting a book proposal together, it's like, well, what blog posts do I have on the site? You know, and then I've got, so you've got systems for catching the stuff. But more than anything, it's like, I just think it's about being genuinely, being open to new things, of course, but to also have like a purpose, to have interests that you're trying to, you know, things you're trying to figure out and discover. I just think your average person, when they go online, they don't necessarily, they've got proclivities and interests and whatever, but they are not looking for things. I'm looking for things. You know, I, I think it was Philip Pullman. He's like, people are having ideas all day. I'm looking for them. Like, I'm on the hunt. Like, I'm looking for ideas, right? And so um, every week, when, when the last newsletter is done, I take out a piece of legal paper and I make a 1 to 10 list. Like, okay, what's going to go in the new one? And as the week goes on, I make little notes. I'm like, oh, put this in here. And people think it's like digital. Oh, you must have this like, dude, what app do you use or whatever? I'm like, I literally write it down on a legal pad. And then I look at the legal pad before I put it together. So for me, that's what I do now. It's like I have my pocket notebook that I carry all day, scribble things in it. Then in the morning, I look back at yesterday's pocket notebook. I write my diary. And then usually whatever I thought about in the diary will reveal something that's worth blogging about. And then I write about it. And then many of those blog posts become book chapters. Or they become talks that become books. So it's this, this perpetual system for creating work. So in terms of setting up a business, you, you have to get specific. But then your interests can change, the market can change, whatever else in the world can change. So how do you make things like that work, uh, especially over the long term? There was a reason I named my blog AustinCleon.com. I, I specifically 
gave it my own name because, first of all, I never thought that, I thought my name was weird enough that there was no reason to have a pseudonym. Um, but also I was like, if I just have a container that has my name on it, then who I am can change over time. What I do can change over time. AustinCleon.com, you know, first it was the blog of this wannabe short story writer. <laughs> and now it's whatever it is now, you know, it's like, it was a flexible framework. But like, the thing that I think is so important in life and business is what William Burroughs told Patty Smith. He said, keep your name clean. He said, if you keep your name clean over time, it becomes its own currency. And Burroughs knew that, um, you know, not a guy that was perfect in his perfect personal life, you know, pretty horrible things happened to him, but he had this wisdom for her. And that's what he told Patty Smith. And if you think about Patty Smith right now, I mean, it's interesting to think about her and her career because she hasn't necessarily, you know, she's known for like, she did music for a while and then she was mom for a while. And then she did these really wonderful memoirs. And, but the name Patty Smith has, I think she's really like, internalize that you know that that and so for me it's like about keeping the name clean in a sense you know doing things you know trying to have that long-term approach to think that you know the name will mean something over time I think that's advice that translates in the business world because I mean reputation is a big thing you know and to make moves that you know, just to not be, not to be um, seduced by the short-term gain, you know. Austin really encapsulates this idea of thinking beyond growth hacks, quick fixes, and putting short-term needs over long-term goals. And of course, doing it in a way that considers the right thing for yourself and for your customers. There's a demystification happening in the way Austin presents his arguments around creativity and commerce, showing that they're not inherently at odds. He's both tremendously creative, but also very pragmatic and regimented in the routines he's created for himself to ensure that he shows up for his creativity every day. There's a lesson here for business owners who are starting out or at it for a while. Running a business is difficult, really difficult, and easier would be to work for someone else. So then maybe the reason we do it at all is because it's on us to make the rules that suit us and to do work in a way that suits us too. And perhaps this whole season will show our companies can be run in a way that does right by our communities, our customers, our planet, and even our own mental well-being. Next Friday, I'm chatting with a small business owner who took a piece of his family's culture and turned it into an experience that had people lined up around the block on opening day just to get a sip. I hope you'll join us. In the meantime, you can check out the Small Business Spotlight, also in the Call Paul feed. They're audio diaries from business owners, giving you a behind-the-scenes peek at the day-to-day of running a company. These stories are pretty great. I think you'll really enjoy them. 
Call Paul is wonderfully produced by Ruth Eddy and is a MailChimp original podcast. Subscribe now in your favorite podcast player so you can check out all our other episodes and seasons. And if you want more awesome content, check out MailChimp.com slash presents.